Hey, Fifth Church, my name is Sam Eldersveld. And to some of you who know me, I am the youngest son of Steve and Lisa Eldersveld. And to those of you that don't know me, uh, allow me to take a few moments just to introduce myself. So I am a Western Seminary student. I'm going into my final year at Western Theological Seminary over in Holland. I am married to Gretchen and we live in Granville. And we are also expecting our first baby in November which is extremely exciting. We can't wait for that. We're so thankful that God has given us this opportunity. We're also taking advantage of the time that we can sleep right now because who knows when we'll be able to sleep in the future. And I'm just excited to be here with you all. I am also a product of Fifth Church. I have been here for a very long time and I want to take a moment to thank you all. Thank you for showing me the light of Christ during the time that I was here growing up. People all the way from serving in nursery to Sunday school volunteers to youth group leaders to those that lead Sunday morning and lead the church. You made a difference in my life. You showed me Christ and for that I'm grateful. I never expected to be here to be preaching to Fifth Church but God works in mysterious ways and I'm thankful that I can be here. I also wanna say happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. We hope that you can spend time with family and friends and feel loved on this day. And I wanna recognize those that don't have good memories for this day, for those that uh, maybe wake up this morning and feel lost, feel hurt that they didn't have a good father figure in their lives. Know that we're praying for you and we're thinking about you this day. Before we go into John chapter three, let me pray for us. God, we are thankful for this day. We thank you that you woke us up this morning, that we have the opportunity to read your word, to be inspired by you and to go and live out our faith in you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. So, we're talking about John 3, verses 1 through 15 today. A conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Before we go into John chapter 3, I want to take a brief moment just to talk about what is going on in the book of John before we get to this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Already, within the chapters 1 and 2, Jesus has a couple run-ins with the Pharisees, leaders of the Jewish people. Jesus is declared by God's chosen one in John chapter 1 by John the Baptist. And this is a direct confrontation with the Pharisees because the Pharisees have all power, all authority. And when John says Jesus is God's chosen one, that power and authority gets taken away from the Pharisees and goes towards Jesus, which they don't like. The second run-in that Jesus has with the Pharisees is when he goes to the temple courts. And Jesus sees a marketplace instead of a holy temple of God. People are buying and selling goods in a place that's considered God's most holy place. And he is furious. He is angry and he overturns tables. And he stops the money selling machine that the Pharisees have in that place. And of course, that's a confrontation with the Pharisees. The tension between Jesus and the Pharisees doesn't even end with this conversation with Nicodemus. It goes all the way until Jesus is crucified. The Pharisees are powerful and they're part of the main group 
that wants Jesus crucified. And they're part of the main reason why he is crucified. So, why does Jesus talk to Nicodemus at a time like this? John chapter 3. And even Nicodemus is the one to initiate the conversation. Pharisees considered an enemy of God. So why would Nicodemus be found here? Another theme in the book of John that is helpful for us to know is the theme of the signs of Christ. We say more frequently miracles other than signs, but for whatever reason, John uses this Greek word semea that is meant as a sign. By declaring supernatural actions that Jesus performs as signs, John is trying to tell us something. So what is he trying to tell us? Instead of looking at, let's say, the example of Jesus turning water into wine, instead of just staring at the example that Jesus sets, the sign that he performs, there's something to it. What is the sign pointing to? The sign is pointing to the living God that's performing these miracles. When Jesus performs these signs, he's not wanting the signs to be what it's all about. He's wanting them to know God is right here, God is right now, and he's able to do these signs. John isn't interested in beating around the bush at all. John declares a lot of statements about Christ in the book of John. And a few of them are the Lamb of God, the bread of life, God's chosen one. If we stare only at the signs of Christ, then we miss out on the fullness of who Christ is. Now, many people in Jesus' time were fascinated by these signs. And they did not recognize that Jesus was the Son of God. And we'll see that in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. So on to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a, he's a leader of the Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem. He's at the top of Jewish, Jewish society. Even Jesus himself calls Nicodemus Israel's teacher, all of Israel's teacher. He has power, authority, knowledge of the scriptures. And if you were a Jew in the first century and had your pick at anybody's life to live, you would pick Nicodemus. So why would Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a person who's considered an enemy of Christ, show up and have a conversation with Jesus at night? I find myself wondering when I read the book of John and when I read John 3, Nicodemus, why are you here? What's the point of you talking with Jesus right now? Why do you come at night? And not only why are you having this conversation with Jesus here, but why are you in this gospel at all? We know that Nicodemus doesn't show up anywhere else in the gospels. He shows up in John. So why does John give a Pharisee the time of day and write a whole story about him? Let's look at verse 2 where the conversation begins. Verse 2 says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. I wonder why John decided to include this detail in this passage at night. Without this detail, it would probably be a normal conversation. It could be that Nicodemus wants it to be a secret that he's talking with Jesus. If the other Pharisees found out 
about them talking together, there would be serious problems for Nicodemus. So that could be one reason why John says at night. Another reason could be this detail showing the effects of, of Nicodemus' faith. Nicodemus's faith could be in the dark, and there needs to be a whole lot of light added to his faith. Well, Nicodemus has found himself at the right spot. I only say that Nicodemus's faith could be in the dark because of the things that Jesus says in response to him, and the first thing that Nicodemus even says to Jesus. He says, no one could perform the signs you are doing. Nicodemus is fascinated by these signs, but Jesus knows exactly what's in his heart. At this time, Nicodemus and the majority of the Jewish people have seen or heard about these signs that Jesus is performing, and they are fascinated. They want to come and look at these signs. But nobody sees who's performing these signs. Nobody sees the living God who is showing these signs to bring others closer to him. We don't know exactly what was in Nicodemus's heart at this point, but we do know Jesus wanted to change his whole heart. Something wasn't right, and Jesus wanted to change it. Let's look at Jesus' response in verse 5. He talks about being born again. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Nicodemus' mind was stuck on physical, earthly matter, while Jesus was focused on the spiritual, something a little bit deeper. Jesus was focusing on being born again, being made totally new. I want to take some time just to talk about baptism, because baptism could be referenced from this passage. There's a major correlation, being born of water and spirit, to baptism. But this does not mean that a person has to be baptized in order to see the kingdom of God. A person does not need to be baptized in order to receive salvation. Salvation happens through faith and faith alone. If salvation happened through baptism, then Jesus would be performing baptisms all the time, but we don't find him performing any at this point, and he doesn't the rest of his life. Jesus' main concern was healing the sick and finding the lost. Jesus says that Nicodemus shouldn't be surprised at this saying of being born again because God talks about it in the book of Ezekiel, a book that Nicodemus should know, somebody who studies the scriptures every day. So here's what Ezekiel 36 says. This is starting in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Nicodemus knows this passage, but he doesn't understand quite what it means. He doesn't understand that being born of water and spirit is to be reborn, to be made new, to have the spirit of Jesus Christ alive in you. Faith in Jesus gives us a new heart and invites the Holy Spirit into our being. I want to take a moment just to pause for a second. Because what Jesus just said in verse 5 is a fundamental of the Christian faith. We can't take shortcuts to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's no shortcuts we can take to obtain salvation that God gives us freely. 
We cannot earn our way into heaven. There's no degree. There's no political affiliation. There's no color of skin. There's no amount of money, church attendance, anything that earns our way into heaven. Faith is what allows for us to see the kingdom of God and nothing else. At this point in the conversation, Nicodemus has been basically told to sit down. Jesus, the real teacher, is in session, and he's the one giving Nicodemus all the knowledge. Nicodemus walked in as a proud, confident man who was intrigued by Jesus' signs and wonders. And now, at this point, he's a humbled man who's been told he needs to start all over spiritually. Jesus has started teaching Evangelism 101 on the topic of being reborn, and he doesn't wait long to continue his lecture. Before going into how Jesus ends this conversation, I want to take a look at Nicodemus and how his responses have changed throughout this conversation. At first, Nicodemus walks in a confident man. He says, we know that God is with you. He calls Jesus rabbi, and it seems like he's speaking from teacher to teacher, because Jesus is a teacher as well. Then Jesus responds with the hard truth of saying, Nicodemus, you need to be reborn. The way that you're living is not good enough. Your whole life needs to be made new. And of course, Nicodemus, who's probably humiliated by this comment, responds back with a mockery of an answer. And he says, how can a grown man enter his mother's womb again. It's almost as if the truth of what Jesus said in being born again struck Nicodemus right in the heart. And because of this surprising truth, the only way to respond was in a silly way for Nicodemus. This is where the conversation with Nicodemus ends. But this is not where Nicodemus ends in the Gospel of John. It's almost as if the truth of Jesus' born-again comment hit Nicodemus right in the heart, and the only way for him to respond naturally was in a silly way. Now, Nicodemus' third response, he says, how can this be when Jesus is talking about the work of the Spirit? Could Jesus be possibly opening up the eyes of a Pharisee, the enemy of God? Could the reason that Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night is because he needs to hear the truth for the first time? Nicodemus why are you here? To end this conversation, Jesus makes a comparison with Moses. And to be clear, Moses is the top prophet, the top dog in Jewish society. He is the one who receives the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the law from God and gives it to God's people. He is the one who leads them out of slavery and almost gets them all the way to the promised land. Moses is the man. Let's look at verses 14 and 15 and see what Jesus says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is referencing Moses from Numbers 21. And what's going on in Numbers 21 is, God's people are tired. They are frustrated. They want to get to the promised land, and yet they're not there yet. And so they complain, and they say that they would rather be back in slavery because that is where they had food, and they don't have food right now. 
So what does God do? God disciplines those that he loves. And in a weird way, he sends venomous snakes to the Israelites. And the Israelites have the opportunity to be healed. And what Moses does is he builds a bronze snake and he holds this bronze snake up. And the Israelites, once they look at this bronze snake, they are healed. The snakes have no power over them. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, was lifted up on the cross, suffering from the wounds that we gave him, dying in a way that we deserve, not him. By looking to him in all things, by seeing the one who was crucified on the cross, we are healed from our sins. We are made new. And not only was Jesus lifted up on the cross, but he was lifted up into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated right there, right now, ruling over the kingdom. This is what Jesus was referencing in this conversation with Nicodemus. It's clear that Jesus laid it all out for Nicodemus to hear. He said the gospel to Nicodemus. He talked about all people being, having the need to be reborn. He talked about believing in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, and by believing in the Messiah, you have eternal life. So I ask the question again, Nicodemus, why are you here? Why does John have you in this gospel? Nicodemus needed to hear the gospel. And it just so happens that he went to the Savior to hear this gospel. This is what Jesus was referencing when he was talking to Nicodemus. Jesus laid it all out for Nicodemus to hear. He talked about all people needing to be reborn. No matter what status you are in society, no matter who you are, everyone needs to be reborn. By believing in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross and ascended to heaven, we are made new. We have God's spirit within us. So I ask this question again. Nicodemus, why are you here? Nicodemus needed to hear the gospel. And he went to the source of the gospel and he found Jesus who told it to him. This is where the conversation with Nicodemus ends. But we're not done with Nicodemus. In John 7, there's a scene where Nicodemus is with the other Pharisees and they're talking about what to do with Jesus. They don't know what to do but they know they want to get rid of him. And many people, many Pharisees, wanted Jesus to be thrown into jail without the right to a fair trial or to defend himself. And somehow Nicodemus stands up and he finds a way to defend Jesus, saying that Jesus should have a way to defend himself. And then in John 19, Jesus has been crucified and his body is on the cross and his body is brought down. And there are two men there that are there to bury him. One of them is Joseph of Arimathea, and one of them is Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, once an enemy of Christ, was, lay, was there to lay the body of Christ in the ground. And not only that, but Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spices to be buried with Jesus. Now, it was custom for Jewish people to bring spices to bury with the bodies, and as a sign of respect, and of course, to make the bodies smell better. But the normal amount was five pounds. Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spices for Jesus. 
He wasn't bringing spices to bury the body of a rabbi. Nicodemus brought these spices to bury the body of the Messiah, his Savior, our Savior. Nicodemus' heart was changed that night he had the conversation with Jesus. Jesus had the opportunity to share the gospel with him, and he took it. He never wasted an opportunity to share the truth of what God has to offer to anybody that needs to hear it. I want to end with a story about William Wilberforce. And some of you may know who this is, but for those of you that don't, William Wilberforce was an English politician in the late 1700s and early 1800s, and he was living a life in darkness. He had all the wealth, he had all the fame, but didn't pursue God at all in his life. And for whatever reason, he decided to go on this cross-country trip, and he invited a longtime friend on this trip by the name of John Newton. And what he didn't know about John was that John had become a Christian. John had believed in Jesus. John had believed in the light of the world. And John had to share that with William once he saw the darkness that William was in. And after this road trip that they were on, the only choice that William had was to pursue a life of faith because of the gospel that John had shared with him. William's eyes were opened. He saw the world in a totally different manner. And I want to share a quote with you uh, from a book that is by Eric Metaxas. And the book is called Seven Men and the Secret to Their Greatness. This is what happened to William after he accepted Christ. Once Wilberforce had come to see that God was real and that God loved everyone, everything was different. Suddenly, the idea of the slave trade and slavery itself seemed less an economic necessity than merely monstrous and wicked. Suddenly, the idea that poor little children should be forced to work in awful conditions for long hours was disturbing and unacceptable. Suddenly, the idea that those who had committed minor crimes should be thrown into filthy prisons where they might die of any number of ailments for lack of treatment was something that must be remedied. Suddenly, the idea that women should sell their bodies so that they could feed themselves or feed their alcohol habit could no longer stand. For the first time in his life, Wilberforce saw the world through God's eyes. William Wilberforce was led from darkness to light through a conversation with a Christian. And this was just a normal conversation. Do you remember when your eyes were open? when you accepted Christ, when you saw this world in a totally different way and you loved people and had the ability to love them just like Jesus does? Do you want your eyes to be opened? Do you want to be able to share the love of Christ? Jesus is offering this to you right now. Believe in him, in the one who died for us, and you will be saved. You will have salvation. Wilberforce reminds me a lot of Nicodemus. Both men at one point had it all. You would think that they were happy in their hearts and they had all that they needed. They could choose to live life however they wanted and could indulge themselves in all kinds of behaviors. Then the gospel was spoken to them and everything was changed for them. So Fifth Church, are you ready to jump in when there's an opening in a conversation with a friend a family member, somebody who you just met, to share the gospel with them. 
If not, what's holding you back? Nicodemus and Wilberforce are proof that the truth of God can go right to anybody's heart. You would think they would not accept Jesus Christ, but for whatever reason, their hearts were softened because the gospel was spoken to them and they received it. There's opportunities all around us to be like Christ in this world, to share the gospel, to share our faith, to show that Jesus is real right here and right now. Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world. Let's let our light shine that others may see our good deeds and glorify our God in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray that John 3 can speak to us this day. We pray that our lives can be lived out in a way that shows that you are real in this world, that it's worth following you. Would you change our lives, soften our hearts, give us the ability to love you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.